Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. That's right. It's Friday again. We're back for another week. And I want to talk about a very direct question. I'm going to ask each and every one of you to ask yourself this question before we even kick off. Are you a pirate or a problem solver? Now, I hear this a lot from folks. I don't hear this question a lot, but I I want to ask folks this question probably more often than I should because I, I read on Facebook and Twitter and you see these different things, people saying this, people saying that, and oh, the buyer was mean to me, the seller was mean to me, I can't find private money, I can't find a deal, or everything's priced too much or whatever their excuse is for not getting stuff done. People have lots of excuses, but they don't really focus on the core value or the core reasons why things don't work out exactly like they plan. Here's what I'm talking about. Here's a situation where I saw a guy on Facebook was talking about, uh, basically he was under contract to a wholesaler house. I assume it was a wholesaler house because the guy's a wholesaler. He's also a realtor, but I, I believe we're talking about wholesaling. He wasn't very forthcoming with information on the post, but that said, he was talking about basically a seller backing out. Okay. So he was filing a memorandum of contract, which basically is a, an affidavit that you file with the clerk's office in your local town or county or whatever. That basically says, hey, it's waving a flag. I've got a contract to purchase this house. It constitutes a cloud on the title and makes it difficult or in some cases virtually impossible for the seller to then sell the property. Now this is, there's, you know, the kind of the jury's out on this situation. It's a very much a it depends type situation. And I do believe that there's three sides to every coin. There's the face, like Kiyosaki says, there's the face, heads, tails, and the edge. I'm going to do my best to look at this from the edge, but I got to tell you that I've got a very much one-sided opinion on this. I'll be honest with you because I frankly think it's a bottom feeder move nine times out of 10. Let's be honest. I just think it's a, a BS bottom feeder move. If you've got to put somebody in a headlock and drag them to the closing table, yet <laughs> that's kind of a problem, boys and girls, because it shouldn't have to work that hard to get someone to sell something. Or in that case, another case to get someone to buy something. If you've got to force yourself, albeit piracy, taking something by force, if you have to force yourself upon someone to do business, you might want to take a step back and reevaluate your sales process. Maybe you renegotiate re- or reevaluate your negotiations process. And most importantly, maybe we renegotiate, we reevaluate the value that we're bringing to the marketplace. Because when people change their mind in a transaction, there's usually a reason why. They don't just wake up and go, ah, never mind. Here's an example. Buyers of real estate. Let's call them wholesalers for the sake of this conversation. Most wholesalers that I know will write themselves outs into a contract, which means that although they agree to, in writing to buy the property, they want an out. Hey, I, but I, I want to, I'll buy it, but I'm willing to, I'll agree to buy it, but I have to have an inspection first. Nothing wrong with that. That's just good, good smart business, right? Or maybe it's um, subject to my partner's approval, which is kind of a BS one when you don't have a partner. But some folks teach that. I'm not a big believer, and I don't believe in bullshitting your way through a contract. I believe in being honest, but that's just me, silly me. They build themselves an out, an excuse to get out of the contract, to to unwind the deal. So these same wholesalers will argue, well, I have a contractually agreed upon out. It's like, no, you've got some fine print buried somewhere in the contract that the seller glossed over because they're more focused on their problem than reading every line of the contract because, oh, I don't know, maybe they trust you. <laughs> Goodness gracious. What about that? And then they may say, well, the seller has the ability to put the out in there. Yes, the seller absolutely does have the ability to put an out in there, provided that A, you agree to it. And B, they even know they have that ability. Because here's what I can tell you. Folks that are in a bad situation aren't usually thinking about every line of a legal 
real estate contract. What they're thinking about is whatever you promise to give them if and when you close. That's what they're thinking about. They view you as the solution to their problem. So if you back out, like those of you bottom feeders that go out there and agree to purchase someone's property without having a buyer for it, and then you fail and you can't close, therefore cannot solve the seller's problem, you guys just drop it like a hot potato and leave the poor bastard to suffer. See, that's called bottom feeder real estate. That's being a pirate. Because all you're doing in that case, when you agree to purchase somebody's property and then you back out because you failed, you too technically are breaking your word. Oh, I know you have an inspection clause in there. The only reason the inspection clause is in there is because you weren't sure that you could follow through the contract in the first place. So let's just drop the bullshit and get right down to it. That's the facts. That's why people write escape clauses into contracts that are wholesalers in most cases. Generally, your residential buyer, they're actually doing the inspections because I could tell you this, most wholesalers don't do the inspections. Their buyers do. And in a lot of cases, their buyers don't even do the inspections. They're buying these properties sight unseen. That's their business. That's their right. They can do whatever they want. The residential buyer, the person, person, person buying the property to live in it, or maybe the buy and hold buyer who's going to turn into a rental property is probably going to be smart and send a, a building inspector in there, a contractor to take a look at everything, make sure it's legit. And if they find something that's not legit that they can't live with, then it gives them an opportunity to back out of the contract. But everybody's clear on that up front. I ask you this. As the buyer, did you give the seller the same opportunity? Did you educate the seller that they also can write an out into the contract if they'd like? And every one of you are going to say, well, why in the hell would I do that? Well, why wouldn't you? They allowed you to have an out. Why can't they have an out? Or is that just not fair? Is it all about the buyer and, well, screw the seller? Is that what business has really come to? Sometimes when buyers get backed out upon when a seller decides for whatever reason they change their mind. Maybe their situation changed. Maybe they maybe they don't have the legal authority to sell the property or maybe there's a title cloud already on the property or I don't know, maybe they were in a heat of passion or heat of anger when they agreed to sell in the first place. Maybe it's a husband and wife in a in a divorce situation and you know the husband got mad and said, I'll show you and signed a contract to sell the house. What happens in a lot of cases, unfortunately, is these wholesalers will file a memorandum of contract or an affidavit of an agreement or whatever you mean. There's several different things you can call it, but basically they file a cloud against the title. They go in and record a document with the court clerk that says, hey, the seller agreed to sell me this house. I have a sales contract. The buyer can record this on a seller's property without the seller signing anything, which is kind of terrifying if you think about it, because the actual contract is usually not recorded. What this does is it creates a cloud against the title and either can prevent or delay the seller selling the property, in which case the seller will then have to reach out either themselves or by an attorney to either the title company or the previous buyer and pay the ransom. And there's really no, I don't believe that there's any statute that says what the limits are. So I could literally agree to buy your house. You decide you don't want to sell it to me. I can say, hell, I'm going to record a memorandum. You got to give me a hundred thousand dollars. And you could, it's possible that you could never be able to sell your house until you give me the hundred thousand dollars. That folks is piracy. That is absolute piracy. And I'm shocked that this is allowed to go on in the real estate industry. Now, that said, sellers should not be backing out when they make an agreement. I'm a believer of sitting face-to-face, having a conversation, look people in the eye, shake hands, and follow through. In other words, when I write an offer to purchase, I'm going to purchase unless there is something major wrong I find during due diligence that can't be overlooked. And in that case, we'll probably renegotiate and still solve the problem. I'm not going to take it in the shorts, just to follow through with the contract. But at the same time, I don't make a habit of writing offers ever that I don't intend on closing upon. Sellers should not do this either, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. So ask yourself this question. Now, if those of you that are in the camp that says, Tyler, the seller made a deal, they should stick with it. You're absolutely right. So I ask those of you that feel this way, have you ever changed your mind after signing an agreement? In your public records under your name, is there a foreclosure or a bankruptcy? Are you behind on a credit card? Have you had a car repossessed? Do you have bad credit? Because all of these 
type of situations make you human. That's the reality. I've had a bankruptcy many years ago. Also had a foreclosure because I signed an agreement that I later realized I could not follow through with. And what happened was foreclosure. But I never paid, I never had to pay that extra debt because it was forgiven in bankruptcy court. So ask yourself, isn't that the same thing? Aren't you doing the same thing the seller's doing? And a lot of you would say, well, yes, I absolutely am doing the same thing the seller's doing, which is why I want the seller to pay me for not following through. Okay, based on what prearranged contractual agreement. If the seller can't sell, for example, is it right, ethical for you to then just hijack them? What if they agree to sell to you and you just say, no, no, I'm just not going to release the memorandum because this is the kind of stuff that goes on guys. Because unfortunately there's no regulation really around this. And there are folks that can just go out there and abuse this situation, this loophole, so to speak, to their own advantage. I'm not saying that's the case here, but I'm saying that it, that happens on a regular basis. There are wholesalers out there with the mindset that they will lock properties up under contract, hope the seller tweaks so they can hold their feet to the fire. There are wholesalers out there that will get buyers under contract to buy, take a $5,000 non-refundable deposit, and then hope they panic so they can keep the five grand. Now, I'm not saying that's the case here, obviously, because this is a whole different situation with a seller, but I, this happens in my market all the time. There are real estate companies, licensed realtors that do this and get away with it. They go out and, and they take properties under contract. They double close them. They get newbie buyers. They go to all the real estate meetings. So if you're in the Tampa Bay market and you're going to the real estate meetings, if you're a newbie, I would run screaming from the real estate meetings. Probably the only one I would recommend is the Spring Hill meeting because Amanda over there does a great job of screening out these scumbags. But in a lot of the other real estate meetings across the country, you've got these I'll call them predatory, predatory wholesalers that go out there and do this dirty deed, lock people up under contract, and then they use this quote unquote law to their advantage. Now, that said, I find, I find situations like this to be disgusting. I find them to be discouraging. And what's unfortunate here is that we've missed the ability to solve the problem. When situations get to this point where you actually have to file a, a memorandum or something, this tells me that you probably did not do a thorough job of understanding what the seller's needs are, that you haven't really thought through the whole process, that you haven't really come to an agreement or a meeting of minds with the seller. So I tell you this, new beginning and experienced investors alike, when you sit down and have a conversation with a seller, the best way possible you can ever get to the meeting of the minds is to be completely focused on what the seller's needs are. And that doesn't have anything to do with price, by the way. It has to do with what is their situation? What value can you infuse into that situation? so that you can truly create a win-win. And I know this sound is, oh, in a perfect world, Tyler, and yada, yada, yada. But I ask you this, in a society like we have today where people are getting shot for going to Walmart and people are being beaten for their religious beliefs or political beliefs or whatever their beliefs are, why can't we just get along in real estate and do good business? Why can't we be better at solving problems than we currently are? Why does it have to be all about getting to the closing table instead of creating a legacy business? Ask yourself this question, folks. And I know a lot of you know people like what I'm talking about. And I hope that if you know someone that does this kind of stuff to people, or you find someone who says, well, yeah, I've had several of these, then you might want to look at that person and go, hmm, is that really, is the situation the bad sellers or is it really bad buyers? Are, is there actually three sides to every coin? I'm not saying right or wrong, but let's look at this whole thing objectively, folks. So to recap, you sit down with a seller, you should be listening to solve problems. You should truly understand why they're selling. You should have enough understanding of their situation to know whether the offer that you're writing or about to enter into is truly going to solve their problem. And if that offer is all about you and really offers them nothing but a closing statement, then maybe you shouldn't do it. If they're undecided, if they're not mentally capable to sign a contract, if they're elderly, if they're sickly, if they're maybe just not that swift, maybe 
As a good guy or a good girl as an investor, maybe you suggest that a family member get involved. Oh my gosh, yes, Tyler just said that. Maybe you should have another, ask them if there's another family member that they would like to bring into this situation to help them. Because I ask you this, what if this happened to your mom or dad? What if this happened to your sister or brother or niece or nephew or grandson or whatever it may be? How would you feel if someone in your family got into this situation and signed something without reading it? For that matter, those of you that are still on the on the side where it says absolutely not crucify him, how many times have you signed a document not fully understanding what you were signing? And how would you react when you just discovered that you wished to change your mind, which we do live in a free country. Last time I checked, how would you feel if you were stuck in this situation? Now, I know what all of you would say that feel this way, but I don't believe that to be the reality. So I'll say this in closing. Very simply said, boys and girls, karma's a bitch. That's a fact. When you do bad business, when you're not thorough in solving problems, you can expect situations like this to come back and bite you in the short pants. So the best way to avoid this is by deciding that you're gonna always, always, always bring value to the marketplace in everything that you do. Raising money, doing deals, whatever it may be, be focused on bringing value to the marketplace. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't already, go to cashflowguys.com forward slash group. That's our Facebook group, members only. Get over there and join up. It's absolutely free. And we'll catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.